Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. In this episode of Quirk Talk, we sit down with Chuck and Jamie Johnson, owners of Shadow Springs Vineyard and Windsor Run Cellars in Hamptonville, North Carolina. As if owning one vineyard and winery doesn't keep you busy enough, Chuck and Jamie own two. One of them includes a distillery. We talk to them about how they differentiate the two businesses and what sets them apart. Their involvement in the industry goes beyond just running two vineyards. Chuck talks about how important it is to give back and to be active and involved. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. All right, we're here with Chuck Johnson and Jamie Johnson of Shadow Springs Vineyard and Windsor Run Cellars. Chuck and Jamie, welcome to Cork Talk. Thank you. Thank you very much for coming. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and a little bit of your backstory. Well, I'm Jamie, and my Chuck and I have been married for a long time, going on 30 years, and I never had a crystal ball, so I never knew how I needed to prepare for the rest of my life. I might have done a few things differently. But we've been doing the vineyard now since 2000, and we'll really started in 2004, seriously looking for land and choosing the place we wanted to be, and then in 2005, making the big step and planting some grapes and starting the whole venture. So for me, uh, I um, was a logistics uh, manager. I ran, I was vice president for a Fortune 100 company, and... Um, did very well. Uh, we IPO'd, and uh, that was a good thing. We're employee-owned, IPO'd. And from there, uh, I think life was good. We, uh, we had everything we needed, and we, I guess I just got bored and decided that I wanted to strike out on my own and start something different. So we went from the corporate boardroom to the farm. And neither one of us had any farm experience other than a garden, got larger and smaller as we traveled, but that's our extent of farming. Um, we knew a couple farmers that seemed to be good people, and we thought maybe that might be fun. And we, we, we were traveling back here. We lived in Nebraska at the time. We were traveling back here, and we had friends that we went to a wine tasting with them and had a good time during that. They wanted to know if we wanted to see the winery. We said, sure. And I said... You know, it would be really fun to do this someday. And the people I were with saying, well, we're retired. We can do the research for you. We said, great. So they did the research. I was flying a lot. And so they would send me the research, and I would I would uh, read it on an airplane. And then came home one day and said, what do you think about doing a vineyard? And Jamie's answer was, I don't think it was all that positive. I said, what do we know about growing grapes and making wine? I think the answer was, hell no. Let <laughs> me um, see how that turned out. So. Yes. Um, so I've always referred to this as Chuck's midlife crisis, that he kept the same wife, didn't get a sports car, so I felt obligated to follow him along. But it was definitely his vision and his passion and... I kind of had to warm up to it and, and figure it out. Someday she's still warming up to it. <laughs> no, I, 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 I have a whole new respect for farmers, that is for sure. Um, you know, you, you don't realize where anything comes from until you're the person producing it, whether it's grapes or corn or potatoes. Um, it, it just magically appears in the grocery store and you go get it. So 
Um, I will say that the learning curve was huge for us. And I think that the smartest things we did were to hire people who already knew their craft and that allowed us to learn what we were doing and to, you know, just to go along the ride with them. So. Perfect. So now, uh, why did you decide here? Well, we really didn't, like Jamie said, we really didn't know what we were doing. We, we, we knew with all the research that I read on the airplanes that, that I've been on for, for years, I, I, I felt that I knew kind of what we were doing. We hired a consultant and we went around to different areas. We looked at this land that we're on in Chattel Springs currently first. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to probably 25 other sti- sites around the state. Uh, and we kept coming back to this one. We had it tested it, and the consultant said it tests good. So we didn't know what quite that meant, but <laughs> we knew it was not bad. The soil yeah. was in good shape. We knew that. So, so again, uh, other, we went to other sites. We kept coming back to this one and finally made the decision after testing it that this was it. Well, and we knew from the beginning that we wanted to be in the Yadkin Valley. We wanted to be on a little bit of a trail. We didn't want to be way out where no one else was because we saw value in in being around other vineyards. So that was another part of the reason we liked this one. And we were in beautiful country, but we're talking in cow pastures where we climbed through the the barbed wire fences and the cows were in there. And I was like, I do not know how anyone will ever find us out here. So um, we're still a little bit off the beaten path, but we are on roads with names and that are paved and not gravel. So somehow it feels <laughs> it a little, a little yeah. easier to find us. Yeah, yeah, you're not that far off the main road yeah. either. So one, one, one vineyard thought we looked at, we had to drive into the cemetery uh-huh. and past the cemetery, to, the cemetery to get to the vineyard. And we, we asked the realtor that when we, when we went in, said, can you really do this? Can you get traffic in here? We wanted to, oh, sure, sure, no problem. We just didn't feel that going through the cemetery to get to our business was a viable option. That's a tough marketing sell. Yeah, exactly. yeah. yeah. I, I, I think there could be some lines related to that, but sure. I'm not sure that we really wanted to start there. I mean, maybe at Halloween it would exactly. be a good thing. Halloween would be our, our holiday. Yeah. 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 So how did Shadow Springs get the name Shadow Springs? Well, that's that? a great question because it was not our first choice. We uh, we named it. Chuck always had this vision, and it was his vision, and he wanted to name it Legacy Vineyards because we thought perhaps it would be a legacy. We could leave it to our children that they would want to continue the business and so we did hire a lawyer and did the due diligence in North Carolina that name we thought was clear so we we said okay Legacy Vineyards and we incorporated the name and then um, we heard from Kendall Jackson in fact we heard from Kendall Jackson's multiple lawyers that they own the word legacy as it relates to wine oh so we thought, well, we don't have any really publicity out there. We don't have any labels. We don't have anything. We just have a ground, a piece of land that has a few grapes that we planted on. Maybe it would be, instead of fighting Kendall Jackson, <laughs> maybe it would be good to come up with another name. 
But as you know, there's thousands of vineyards out there with thousands of names, and it was very, very difficult to come up with something. So before the tasting room was here, my first job here was mowing. I mean, we had people that were taking care of the vineyard, but I could mow. So I was mowing uh, one day and um, thinking of names. Actually, I was sitting on top of the hill where the tasting room currently sits on my tractor, looking around at the property and trying to think of a name. And I looked over to the right here and I saw the, the stream through the creek, through the, uh, the trees over there. And I, and I saw a shadow and I'm thinking, shadow, something to do with spring shadow. And, and creek. And creek. And I had all kind of things popping through my head and I came up with sh uh, spring shadow and then that really shadow didn't sound creek. right. Then we came up with shadow spring and I was so excited. Well, I called Jamie. With shadow creek first. Well, I called Jamie with a couple names and, and she said, I hate them. <laughs> and I said, okay, you come up with a name. And she said, I love them. <laughs> so that's kind of how Shadow Springs was born. Yeah. And so now we really like it better than we ever liked Legacy. But um, even when you get something in your head, it's like, oh, now what? So, and we've used our logo with that. It almost looks like a monogram, but sure. the one S is backwards. That is to be the shadow, the shadow of the springs with the vineyard in there. So we had some thought and some meaning back there behind that. And we worked with a local lady here in Hamptonville, Jonesville. And she, she helped us put all our thoughts because we had many, but neither one of us are artistic. So get that down and into what we kind of envisioned it to be, so, yeah. And we found out that Kendall Jackson doesn't own that word. <laughs> <laughs> so we were good. Yeah. But Shadow Springs has some sticking factor to it, though. Yes. It does. We're very, very pleased with it. Yeah, the alliteration's great. Yeah. So what were the first varieties that were planted in the vineyard here at Shadow Springs? Well, we planted in um, March of 2005, we planted two acres of Cabernet Franc and two acres of Merlot. Now, understand that we were still in Nebraska. I was still working my corporate job at this time, and the only ones that knew what we were doing was, of course, our children, uh, our parents, and the people that were actually working at the vineyard. So we, we were in Nebraska, and I had a uh, consulting uh, gig here in North Carolina, and I'd fly back and forth uh, probably once or twice a month and I would always tack a day on, stay with Jamie's parents on the weekend and mow the grass. So uh, I, and then we actually planted the rest of the vineyard, the six and a half acres that, that are in the back of it. Um, and that was planted in April. Uh, April of 2006. And that gave us 10 and a half total acres here. So we added more, more mostly French um, grapes, but we did put in two hybrids. So we have the Cabernet Sauvignon, and we have Petit Bordeaux, and then the, the Chamberson, which is the hybrid red that we grow, and then Chardonnay, Viognier, and the hybrid Saval Blanc. So that's what we put in our second planting. And then we moved, actually moved here July 4th weekend of 2006. Wow, okay. Yeah, I left, or I gave notice uh, uh, to our CEO um, on, in February, and then we moved in July. So quite a bit different moving to the farm. We, we promised the kids didn't want to move to the farm. They were very unhappy with us that we, we ripped them out of their school and all their friends in Nebraska and uh, moved them here, and there was no way they were living on a farm. Yeah. 
So we compromised. We moved into uh, the city. Or the city. In, that's also a, in, that's into uh, into Bermuda Run, and and, and we we. Uh, they were happy with that because it had a pool and a country club attached to it, so that was a good thing for them. Uh, and then, again, we still were the worst parents ever. <laughs> but we are not above bribery. So. Yeah, so we bought them cell phones. <laughs> <laughs> and we got to be cool parents then. Yeah, I would think, especially in that time frame. Yeah. Yes, it was really cool right. to have a cell phone as a kid, so yeah. Yeah. So... Shadow Springs opened in the spring of 2008. We actually opened up the, the doors here at Shadow Springs with a very small wine list, and uh, through the years, it's grown to a large wine list. But we did open up with probably six wines, yeah. five or six. So now, uh, when did Windsor Run come into the picture? Well, Windsor Run was uh, 2011. Uh, actually, they were Buckshoals, and uh, we were partners with another winery in the area, uh, on a, or another vineyard in the area on a winery, and we had a five-year commitment with that, and we decided that that five years was up, we wanted to do our own thing. So we really had plans for a winery here at Shadow Springs, right across the pond. We had uh, plans drawn up. We had an event center and a, and a large winery planned. And we were going forward to that when um, Terry Crater passed away from Buck Scholes. When he did that, or we were talking, he wanted to sell the, the, the his location to us, Buck Scholes, but we really weren't interested in, in that. But when he passed away, um, Joanne really didn't really want to run the business anymore. It was really more of a Terry passion. And so we looked at it hard again for the winery. It had a lot of things that we were looking for. And the bonus was it had a working and permitted distillery. So we thought, well, maybe we can we can buy that, and that way we'll have instant winery. Um, and so that's kind of where that came to place. We really didn't really want a tasting room. We just wanted the winery. But when we looked at the tasting room, we thought, well, maybe we can expand it. We closed it immediately. and we, Maybe we can expand it. Maybe we can have a second location as long as we had different wines. We didn't want to have the same wines in two locations. Right, it just didn't make sense. we're just over half a mile away from each other, so right. that just didn't make any sense. So we just decided to have, like, the alter ego. We kind of had our wines already planted, our grapes already planted, and our wines established by then. So we decided to use some of the grapes they had and then pull up some of them that we didn't feel were producing and, and put in some new grapes, so we decided to put in some different grapes up there as well. So we have a pretty much everything is, is unique up there and different than it is here. We have a cab and we have a Merlot. Those overlap a little, but um, the style is different. And um, then we planted we ended some up taking, hybrids. Yeah, we ended up taking out half the vineyard uh, the first year. Um, and we did plant more Petit Bordeaux. And like Jamie said, we left the Merlot that was there. We left the Capsab. It's right in front of the tasting room. Uh, even though it, it showed stress, it, it took a lot to bring it back to life, if you will. And then um, we ripped out most of the vineyard in the back, planted Petit Verdot, planted more Tremonette, uh, uh, planted um, uh, a grape called Valvin Muscat. Um, so we really changed the landscape of the vineyard, and then the winery needed some work. Uh, we put in uh, osmosis system. We put in several uh, several things that it didn't have. Um, 
but it worked, it worked well. So what differentiates the profiles between Shadow Springs and Windsor Run? Windsor Run is more of our fun location. It has some of the funner ones that we think, some of the more experimental stuff that we're doing. Um, we have a very talented winemaking staff that has very creative ideas. And I think one of the things that we're very, very happy with them is because they come to us and say, what do you think about adding coconut to wine? And we have a very eclectic, uh, diverse clientele that loves new things and loves different things. So for us, it was, okay, this is where we can experiment. This is where we can play. And uh, we can still keep our summer traditional wines up there for traditional wine lovers. Remember that the premise is we want two separate locations. And I think that was, uh, that was the premise of what we decided to for the new Windsor Run. So Windsor Run's a little bit more on the fun side. How would you describe Shadow Springs then? Um, probably traditional, but with a little twist of fun. I don't want people to think I'm not fun. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, when we started, we did start more traditional. So we have Chardonnay and we have Viognier and we have several dry reds. And, and then we kind of went out on a limb early on and put some chocolate in one of our reds. And that kind of became a thing. So we're not afraid to, to kind of push the edge a little bit. But for the most part, I feel like there are more traditional style lines at Shadow Springs than Windsor. But you have to have a balance because you just never know who's coming in and, and what their tastes are going to be. So you want to kind of be able to please them, whether or not it's their very favorite, maybe not. But you're hoping that something that you offer them will be their favorite. Cool. So when we were early on, we, we discussed of what, what type we wanted to be, and, and we really didn't want to have just super dry reds. Even though we have them, we wanted to be able to offer the customers more. Sure. Just because a customer is not a super red dry drinker doesn't mean they're a good customer or it doesn't mean that they're not a good wine person. It just means that their tastes are different than ours. Right. Uh, and, and we felt that we, we wanted to be able to give them the respect, if, if not us, of, of what we're doing. So we, we have multiple different dry, medium, sweet, but. <laughs> and now you mentioned the distillery also. So talk to us a little bit about some of the products that come out of there. The distillery, when we, again, it was, it, was a, it was a bonus when we bought the winery. And we really didn't know what we wanted to do with the distillery. We, it was there uh, producing uh, some uh, spirits for fortification. So, I, and, and I've always, always, always loved the port that came out of there. Uh, they do it their traditional style. They don't have the grandfather name, so we can't call it port. Uh, they were calling it Midnight Royal, and it was a fantastic wine. And I, we thought, well, what can we do with this? Um, and then when we we opened under Windsor Run, we thought, well, let's see if we can move that around to more of, uh, relate back to the back to the uh, tasting room. So instead of Midnight Royal, we changed the name to Midnight Run. And it is stuck, and people love it. And um, we have a lot of Midnight Run available, but it's always our number one, number one selling wine because people absolutely love it. It is a true port. Um, so, and we make our own spirits for it. So it's 100% North Carolina, even the right. spirits, right. 100% estate made. Um, so we're excited about that. Uh, other things that we did with the distillery, again, 
creative winemaking staff that come up with ideas. They know that they can, they have the tools to push the envelope, and they do. And so with the distillery, with the laws, current laws, when we, we first bought uh, Buckshalls and changed it to Windsor Run, they, the, the rules for the liquor tastings, the product that was over 25% alcohol, were not favorable. Um, you couldn't sell anything, you couldn't charge for anything, you couldn't do a bunch of stuff. They wanted a separate building. Um, so we kind of waited and watched, and there are many distilleries started popping up in the state, and also it became more legal friendly. Um, the, the legislature decided that we weren't selling, that we weren't going to sell out the back door to children, uh, <laughs> and uh, we, would, we would live by the rules that they set up. And so... For us, then, as, as uh, Dana, our distiller, says, we went pro. We may have three liquors out of there now. We have three liquors inside the, uh, the ABC store, which was a very big learning curve for us. Um, we, they helped us a lot, but there's a lot more laws around liquor than there is wine, and we thought the wine business was tough. There's crazy laws. If um, someone purchases the product from our distillery, they cannot actually bring it back through the wineries, so they have to have a side door to leave out of. Um, but we have fun with that. We call <laughs> so it the we walk did, of shame. We, made, <laughs> we, we just kind of embraced it. But, but they were very helpful for us. The, the ABC division in Raleigh, were, the administration and everything were very helpful, and they, they told us that they would help us get through this as long as we both agreed that, that we had to follow the laws, and, what, and, and they worked our way through it. So they knew that more wineries would have distilleries in the future, so they used us as kind of the guinea pig. We, they, they told us they want to get it right. But we were over there several times. We had several meetings with them, and they were very helpful to uh, make sure that we did what they needed to do and for future wineries that had distilleries, what would work for them as a model. So we were good with that, and, and they helped us a lot. So we opened the distillery to the public on our spirit side on June 1st, of 2016-17. That's the same day that the brunch bill passed. Mm. The brunch bill, we were allowed before the brunch bill, uh, one bottle per person per year sold through the distillery. The brunch bill allowed us to do five bottles per person per year. A still uh, restraint, however, if someone wanted to buy two bottles, they could actually legally buy two bottles right. and they didn't need a friend. So. Uh, now we're working on other laws that hopefully will ease that and we'll be able to be more friendly to the customer. And that's kind of what we're working on um, with different associations that we belong to. But we mostly distill our wine, so it's brandy. But we also have one product that we distill a mead or we distill the honey. Mm. So that's a very specific and unique product. And they really didn't even know how to address that, so we are distilled spirit specialties under that um, categorization because we didn't really fit into a specific area like a gin or rum or what have you. So we, we kind of liked being different and having our own little classification. And so with the creativity of Dana, the distiller, and Kevin, our winemaker, and and all the people who assist us, we, um, we're just making some really interesting products there. So we're excited. That's really cool. Always on the forefront of kind of expanding the industry to new and different yeah. 
a lot of people call that the bleeding edge, but um, <laughs> we've been able to keep from bleeding too bad on it, but, uh, but we, we're excited about that. We're excited about new things coming out. We're excited about pushing that envelope, and, and our customers are too. I think the customers see us as not afraid to get out there, and uh, again, sometimes uh, my favorite story of the winery is when one day before we had the uh, before we were doing spirits, we were working on uh, uh, a fortified wine, and I walked in and there were six people around a uh, big tub or big bucket, and they were zesting lemons, <laughs> and I'm like, "What are you doing?" <laughs> he said, "We're working on our limoncello," and I realized, I told them, I said, "You realize how many lemons that you have to zest to make 250 cases of limoncello." And the, and the winemaker looked at us and said, hmm, didn't think about that one. So we, uh, we have a new rule in the winery. Uh, we can still think about outside the box, we, but before we actually start doing it, we have a conversation with Chuck ahead of time. That's where the so, logistics comes that's in. That's right. Yes. That's right. Logistics works for me for a long time, I know. But uh, with, with the three winemakers that we have currently, uh, Kevin, Dana, and Elizabeth, we are very excited about their creativity as long as we can make sure that, like you said, the logistics work. Um, work good with it. Um, we love the, We love the expansion. We love the ideas. When you walk in and they're looking at you and you know something's coming out. And they really like to pitch it to me first because <laughs> I seem to be the one that's a little more receptive to some of these things than Chuck. And their hope is that I will then relay to Chuck and that by the time it gets back to them that he won't be quite as um, <laughs> on guard. So, and our son Justin is actually going to come back and um, start working with us the end of, well, the end of July, 1st of August. And so then I, they're starting to circumvent both of us and go right to Justin, so I'm not really sure whether that's out to pasture or what. So what are some of the challenges of running a vineyard, a winery, and a distillery? And in two locations, nonetheless. Logistics is a good thing for Chuck to have as a background, and the fact that he doesn't really sleep a lot also helps with that. Um, Gosh, I don't know how we've been able to juggle it through the years, but somehow it's always been a manageable thing. We just have to get our ducks lined up ahead of time and, and make sure that we're all on the same page. One of the things I've been very fortunate over the, over the years here is we've had great help. Great help. Um, that is, I don't think we could have done near the stuff that we've, we've done without the talents of uh, the winemaking staff, without the talents of the vineyard staff that we have that are true family members. I mean, we, we've been around these people for numbers of years, and, and they are great people, and they're, they're, they, they join, or we join their, their vision. Right, and they're so dedicated that they see it as theirs, hmm. so that they work hard because they're not just working not just employees, right. to run. They're working because they are also deeply embedded in this whole process. So it's hard to find people that are that um, dedicated and that true to you, but somehow we've, we've been lucky. And we've had a lot of help over the years from the industry. When we first got here, we knew nothing about the industry. We, we know we loved wine, and that was a basis behind everything, and farming seemed fun. So we were very, very fortunate that 
that when we got to North Carolina, we met the right people, and they kind of embraced us and kind of took us, took us on the ride. And for us, not knowing as much as we probably should have, um, it gave us the ability to create something here and continue it because of all the help. And I think that's why we're, we want to give back. Uh, it's very important to me that if someone comes up and they need help, that we help them. I'm heavily involved in the North Carolina Wine Council, heavily involved in the North Carolina Grape Council, and that is my way of giving back. Um, I'm a businessman from years, years back, and we're very, I was a very competitive businessman, and all these people came to help me right away, and they were, in my opinion, they were competing vineyards, com competitive nature that I had. I, I couldn't believe that these people were actually helping me. So we, uh, we let this happen for a couple of years because we need a lot of help. And then we were at a grape council or a wine growers meeting once and we, we were having fun and we had a little bit, maybe too much wine. We were staying there that, at the hotel, so we were enjoying ourselves. And finally, I, I cornered a couple of them. I said, why are you helping me? And they said, well, really, we want your wine to be great. Well, I said, I do too. And they said, but when your wine's great and they come to you, they're coming to us. If your wine's not great, they're not coming to us. So that's why we're helping. And I think I've really embraced that throughout the years, and that's why it's so important to me to give back and to be a part of these committees that help the wine industry. Just like you guys, you're helping the wine industry in North Carolina. It's very important, and you feel passionate about that. And so do we. These people helped us when we didn't know anything. Now it's our turn to get back. Right. And we have talked to so many people, and it's so romanticized, the right. vineyard. Of course. And I feel it's my job to, I'm the, the very black and white person, <laughs> to, to give them a different perspective. I'm not trying to run them off. I just don't want them to get into it and then hate it. And then go, why didn't you tell us this? So I think it's important. People would say from the beginning, it's a lot of work. Okay, that, what does that mean? It means like all-consuming work. You don't just go home at night and leave it. You take it with you and, and you do whatever you didn't have time to do at the tasting room that night or you do book work and you do all kind of stuff and then you go back the next day and the vines need need assistance or they, you know, there's, it's harvest, it's whatever, it's time to make the wine. So it is not just a, oh my gosh, I'm going to show up and, you know, drink a glass of wine and, and talk to the people. That is, a, I mean, that's what you wish, idealistically maybe, but there's a lot of hard work that goes into it. So. But like any small business that you have, you, you have to put the passion in and you have right. to put the time For in sure. it. It's, it's just not something that you go and you punch eight to five. You know, we didn't want to, I didn't want that. I, I, I did the corporate life and, I, and I, it was time for not to do the corporate life. I wanted to see if we could do it on our own. Has it been hard work? Absolutely. But. But also rewarding. Yeah. For sure. When someone looks across the bar at you and says, man, this is good. Well, that's, what, that's what makes the world go around. Yeah, or they buy a bottle and they're like, I can't wait to share this with our friends. You know, they're going to love this. And, and it makes you go, okay, so it's all worth it. And, um, and you never know when they walk in 
who they are, where they're coming from. You certainly can't judge a book by its cover. That has been um, played out many times, and through the years, we've made wonderful, wonderful friends through this business, and we feel like somehow or another, we're still pioneering, but we're we're making a little mark, so it's... Um, Oh, cool. We hear that from a lot of folks, so it's it's good that you have folks, to have something. Yeah, true. <laughs> but it's it's great that folks are willing to help each other, and because as you pointed out, their the your quality also means that their quality is going to go up, and so it elevates the entire region, entire state. So right, and um, sometimes it just takes one person tasting one line that they don't like, sure. but they're the mouthpiece that right. that says, "Oh, don't go up there; it's all bad." Right. I have no idea if it's all bad or not. So the idea is that you just want to have it so that they can't say that. And um, and then they they slowly buy into North Carolina wines. What's your favorite wine that you've made? No, that's like, everyone says it's like trying to say, well, it's my favorite that's right. child. That's right. <laughs> They're all of our children, so it's, it's kind of hard to say, well, we really like this one. Um, we really like that one. Uh, our son got married up here a couple years ago. And we had, one of our first vintages was the 2007 crop, which the grapes were fantastic. They were, they were great grapes. Uh, and we called it wedding wine. Because we had library this amount of wine over the years. Yeah, and so we had told him that he had a steady girlfriend through high school and through college, and we loved her. And we said, well, we have the wine. So they got married here at the vineyard, and uh, we, had a, we had several of our wines out for, for people uh, that were at the wedding, but we had one column called Wedding Wine. And no one really knew it except the bartenders and, and our son Jason and, and, and daughter Kate that we had this and we put it out there, special, special wine, and everybody loved it. And, and we had several people from the wine business here. And when they got, they got a hint that we had some library wine here, <laughs> we were very, very popular, very popular. So that, that vintage was very special. But you know, every one of our wines we spend a lot of time with. We have a lot of different wines from a lot of different uh, um, styles, but we spend time with each one of them. It's not like a throw it against the wall, see what sticks. It's more of, okay, this is our vision for this wine. Let's spend some time with it. We always pull people in to taste it. We always want to know what your opinion is. And then we make the decision, the final decision of what's going in the bottle. Again. I'm not looking to be a dry house, dry red house, and if you don't like my wines, I'm, I don't want you to come. I want you to come and experience something here. If your wine is not that big, bold, dry wine, which we have, and we have plenty of, it's just we want them to have an experience, and we want them to be happy with that experience, not to settle for that. So do we have some sweet wines? Absolutely. Um, do we have some dry wines? Absolutely. We're trying to... Make sure the experience is good. And the wines are fantastic. Always important. We have a little guest here. Buddy's with us. Yeah, that little groan was Buddy. <laughs> I think it was actually a little snore. Oh, a little snore. <laughs> well, at Buddy's age, it's fine. It's nap time. <laughs> exactly. So what's your go-to wine then? Like at the end of a long day, whether you're in the tasting room, you've been dealing with groups after groups, or Chuck, you've been mowing all the time. Yeah, so well, I, I'm a little more than mowing these days. but, but um... so, so what's your go-to at the end of the day? Um, okay, probably seasonal for me. 
I I like blend, so probably my go-to red would be a Meritage because it's a nice blend of our Bordeaux grapes. So I always know that I will like that with whatever I'm having. Um, and our daughter-in-law Kate, that's her old wine. She yeah. loves, loves, loves that wine. So when we're going to their house for dinner, we always take, always take a Meritage. It's it's very easy. Um, but we also really drink a lot of the Saval. It seems to to be that one for us that is just the very easy flight. It's not really sweet. It's not dry, dry. It just it feels like you just want to sit down and relax. So we do, um, I think we tend to drink that one a lot. And then the new rosé, we, we really love, we, we've made a dry rosé for the first time in 07, I'm sorry, 17, 17 and uh, love, love, love it. Uh, we're just about sold out of it going into our 18, which we love as well. So um, rosé all day, that's the new wine, right? <laughs> yeah. And if it's night and you just are kind of relaxing, there's always midnight one. Of yeah. course. Yeah, Very the true. midnight one never never really is far from us. And we, that's always a fun one to just, you know, when you have company or you have friends to, to have with them because it, it's just... It's a surprising wine, <laughs> and uh, when we have people over to the house and we'll pull that out and maybe not show them the bottle, just pour uh, a port glass after dinner and it's just they look at the glass and they say this is fantastic where did you buy that <laughs> well, they don't have to do that anymore well, they, know. they know most of them know that come over to the house they know I have a stash and so um, but it is it is just a fantastic wine and we're, we're very very pleased with it um, but we also have some fun wines every once in a while you'll open a uh, limoncello or open a uh, island holiday and, and, and get that burst of coconut. Mm. Um, I think that uh, those are kind of fun wines that we like as well. That's so. always when I'm wishing we could go to the beach and it's July and everybody else goes to the beach. <laughs> so the vines need us here. So we just have our own little staycation. <laughs> That's right. Over a bottle of uh, Island Holiday. <laughs> Some Jimmy Buffett. All yeah, time. exactly. Yeah, that right. or the Chatterita, and you feel like you've been to Margarita. <laughs> so now, you mentioned some new and fun stuff. Uh, you recently just came out with a new product. Do you want to talk to us about a little bit about that? The brew. Uh, brew, yeah. Um, for us, and, and, the, and the, we really wanted to please the people. We really wanted to have the experience. So we were having a lot of people come in and spouse really loves wine the other spouse really doesn't love wine so we try to get them involved with something and they they humor us and they and then they look at us and say i'm a beer drinker why do you bother <laughs> and so we thought you know what can we do for that person we want everybody to have an experience to have, come here we they usually end up grabbing a magazine and going sitting on the couch and waiting and we thought, what can we do for that person? And we started experimenting. We're big mead makers. We make a lot of meads for Windsor Run. We make a custom crush. We make a lot of meads custom crush. In fact, our last honey order was almost 20,000 pounds. Oh, my gosh. So we're bringing this much in. And we've been making meads for a long time. And we were over several months ago, and we were talking about, you know, kind of what can we do for this person? And we thought maybe, well, mead. Well, then the winemakers started coming up with ideas about, well, what if we put fermented with hops? Right. I think they were on the, the website, the TTV website. Because yeah, we wanted to make sure, again, we didn't break the law. And, and we really didn't want a beer license. We didn't want to make beer. Because beer and wineries sometimes are issues. So we didn't want to bring grain. We didn't want to, we didn't want to do the traditional thing. We wanted to do this all under our wine license. 
that was important. So we've been experimenting, been experimenting, and finally they said, well, I think we can ferment hops with honey, mead, and then, oh, by the way, we can carbonize it. Made it carbonated, and they said, it's, and they checked on it, on the laws, and we can, we can actually make this under our wine license and sell it under our wine license. And I thought, well, let's try one. So we got some kegs, and we got a couple of things that we needed to do this, and we did a test batch, and with one, one tank, we carbonated it, and we started talking about it and talking to other people about it, bringing people and letting them taste it. And everybody had a positive attitude. So for us, this was kind of where we wanted to go. We thought this was, but, but now how to release this? Uh, and we had our son Justin and uh, Jason and Kate, our, our children were, were involved in trying to, trying to decide how do you promote this? Um, you know, Jamie does a little social media I do the vineyard and the winery. I don't have time for social media. So uh, I know it's important. I know everything like that. But they do a much better job than I do of it. So they thought, let's make a big release. And can we do it over the unofficial start of summer, which is Memorial Day? Well, it's now May 1st. That means we had to make it, carbonize it, get it in tank, get all the stuff that we needed for the tasting room, and oh, yeah, release it twenty-nine in 29 days. So we started out with the formulas. We started out, or we started out with the colas to try to get the TTB label approvals, and we had some issues there, but we got our way through that. And while we were making everything, and we uh, we finally got everything done, and uh, we had a food truck lined up, and all of a sudden he had an accident. Oh, oh no. the food truck the got, food into truck an, got accident. an accident. So it's always that so was not a good thing. So we, we decided did, hot dogs, hot, hot dogs, dogs, a good American hot dog. <laughs> go hand in hand and also really good with brew which you know in my mind is is a light beer but it's actually a wine which is really hard to explain to your customers <laughs> this is actually a mead which is a wine but we fermented hops in it and then we carbonated it so it, it has foam it looks like a beer kind of smells like beer doesn't taste 100% like beer but very, very similar if you want beer versus wine. And so brew to wash down your hot dog, and somehow we pulled it off yeah. and released it on Memorial Day on that weekend on Saturday. We had shirts made up. This was um, Chuck and Lisa's brainchild that said Brew Crew. And um, so we just had a lot of fun with it. So. And then I had to go to Tanglewood. <laughs> I, 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 I missed the whole thing because I, I, we were at Tanglewood all day as well because we committed to the festival and we had to go. Mm -hmm. right. So um, we had we had all hands on deck. All of our children were here. Um, they were helping. Um, everybody was here. We had every staff member working. Everybody was working. <laughs> so, but we pulled it off and had a great time. A good, it was hot weather and, and uh, it was a perfect day for a yeah. brew. Perfect yeah. day for so a brew. So we are going forward with this. Currently, you can only get it. Um, well, you can taste it on our tasting bar, and then you can get glasses of it on on site. But we don't have any way to take it out the door. We're working to do a dark brew as well. So this is light. So in the end, we hope to have light and dark, perhaps the seasonal down the road, but that is down the road. And then um, we'll see. Maybe we'll invest in a machine that can make a, 
a crowler. I'm not mispronouncing that. Most people go growler. I'm like, no, it's a crowler, right. like a can and a growler put together. Um, but we'll see. We're, we're not committing to that quite yet. Um, but both, but we're doing well. But, but and it was important to us that both tasters have it because we were tossing back and forth which one should have it, and both of us wanted it. So we decided that we would introduce them both. The brew, the original brew, would be at both locations, and then the seasonal stuff would would uh, would be different at both locations. Yeah. So it's our goal to have at least three different types in rotation at all times. But it will always be a mead. I mean, it will never... We, we, we don't intend to make beer. Right. But but this is close. <laughs> but we will we will never make beer. It's quite tasty. It uh, is quite we tasty. We were here last year <laughs> sampling it on the debut. Yeah, and um, it's, it's, it was very it's, tasty. Of course, once again, kind of be on the edge in a, in a completely unique and different product. But for us, it fills that void that we thought we had. And, um, and it's brand new, so we haven't had tons of feedback yet, but so far feedback has been positive, and people are drinking a glass of it, so that's all we can ask at this point. That's awesome. And then we have people come in the same thing, the spouse loves wine, and you have the other spouse trailing behind, and they see that kegerator there, and all of a sudden, eyes light up, and they say, <laughs> what, have you, what, what have you got? <laughs> and we say, we have something for you. And I think that's our big thing, we want something for you. That's awesome. So what would you say is next then? So that was the latest innovation, but what do you think is on the horizon for either location? Well, we have some things that we're working on, um, some things that we've announced, some things that we haven't announced, uh, um, but they're, they're, they're new and innovative. Um, we have a, uh, a new port coming. Um, this new port is actually was produced in 2010. It has been sitting in barrels for over nine years. Um, so Jamie and I were involved in making it. Dana was there and he made it. Um, and it was part of the transition between Buckshoals and, uh, and Windsor Run. Um, but we thought we really wanted to make a 10-year-old port. We really thought that, and we started to taste it, and it was phenomenal. The problem with it is we only had two small barrels or two barrels and we had lost in those and 10 yes, years we over a it. third of it. The angels were yes. happy. The angels in our winery are extremely <laughs> happy. And they may or may not be named Dana. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, no. Ooh, um, let's hope but uh, they, uh, for, for us, um, we, we, we tasted it and we thought, wow, we could either blend this in our ports in the future or we could make a special. So we've never had a grand reserve here. We've had a couple wines that we thought were phenomenal that we named reserve, but we've never had a grand reserve. And a 10-year-old port kind of fit that bill. So we've got special labels printed up. We're gonna actually, our first time we've ever numbered, yeah. numbered bottles. Oh, we're only, wow. We only had, we think we have right around 670 bottles. But we've never also done a 500 mil bottle. Oh, okay. So these wow. are all new to us. So we're, we have a 500 ml bottle, we have a special label, we have a port style bottle that will be in a T-top something, again, we've never done. Hmm. So um, this will probably out uh, late summer, um, but uh, we want to get in the bottle because every time we test it, we lose a little more. Uh, so we've got to get it in the bottle soon. Um, but we're very, 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 very excited about that. Um, um, we, we believe we'll release sometime end of the summer. 
So can't that's wait great. for that. Yeah, it'll be fantastic. Now our regular midnight run is a blend, three, four years yeah, old. Right. Um, but we have a lot to choose from. Currently in the winery, we have about 2,200 gallons of port in various stages of years and uh, aging. So we have a lot to choose from. Um, very, very excited about the future there. But we've got some other things, uh, other things coming out. Um, we're, we're, we we pulled out our, our little still, uh, and we're doing some um, different things with it now. So hopefully that will be out soon. Um, the, the production still is what we use most of our thing, and we've had this. We we've been taking pictures with this little still for a number of years now. <laughs> people love love to take pictures with it. The copper still that sits in the corner, and everybody hugs it and gets their picture made. Yeah. Well, we thought, well, we have this. We wanted to try a sample of something, so we pulled it out, run it for a sample. Absolutely loved the sample, blended it with a couple of things, and um, thought that that was the way to go. So we used it again and again to get what we needed to get, and uh, so we're in the process of final filtration, final blending, and then we'll be bottling a new surprise coming up probably some end of end of June. Oh, cool. Hopefully, we can get it in the bottle end of June. If not, it'll be July. So. It is June 2nd. Yeah. Time, time <laughs> flies. <laughs> flies. So what's left the biggest impact on you in being in the wine industry? Well, a couple of things. Um, you know, we had a budget. Uh, I'm a business guy. I do budgets. I do marketing plans. I do spreadsheets, spreadsheets, spreadsheets to try to figure out exactly um, what we can do and what we can go forward. Um, and I had a plan, and I looked at all the material, and I had a plan, and I had a budget going forward. And I realized, if you're going to come into this business, my new advice to everybody is, figure out what you need and triple it. And then you may be able to survive. So, um, I think my biggest impact, and I was hoping you weren't going to ask me a question like that, because <laughs> it's so hard to answer. But I think the biggest impact for me has just been the people that have come through our doors through the year. Uh, I mean, we've made friends and, and we've seen people pass on and, and that hurts and you didn't know these people to begin with. And we've also, you know, had weddings and we've been in joyful times with people. And so I just think that's a broad question and that might be a broad answer, but I just think it's the people that have made the most impact on me. And it's, it's fun to see somebody, like we said earlier, it's fun to see somebody across the bar enjoying what you produce and saying course, this yeah. is fantastic. And we've had, we've, we've had several experiences with that. Like Jamie said, we've had weddings here uh, for multiple years. Now they have to bring their kids back and uh, they look at their vine. We do an adopt-a-vine program for that here. And they look at their vine and teach their kids about that. We've had engagements in the vineyard. Our son got engaged in the vineyard here. And oh, and because we're now farmers, <laughs> we thought we would capture that. And so what did they use? Oh, let's go with a deer camera. We had several. <laughs> Mounted in the vines, not obtrusive at all. But, um, well, yes. we, we knew it was coming, and we knew he told us about it, and we knew what, what time it was coming, and he planted a vine out here, his first vine. that When we first planted 
we let our kids each plant their own ceremonial vine, as we did our own. I mean, we planted more than one, but we well, we really didn't wanted plant all seven thousand of them. We really here. wanted to plant the first one, but we were late getting here. Mm. <laughs> and so our yes. first one is actually planted in row three. Row three. <laughs> we're the first one on row three, though. So Jason said he wanted to propose at his vine, and so we thought that was pretty cool. But he didn't ask us to video it. <laughs> but we thought eventually he might want that. So, so. we set up two uh, digital cameras and a video camera in the vineyard, and we caught uh, some of it. We caught some of it, but we, the video. We should, have, we, we should have put a big X on the ground as to stand here. But yeah. well, we did catch him kneeling down, and we did catch a little bit of the proposal <laughs> with the, the audio that we had. But but it worked. It worked, and uh, then they got married here after that. So. But we knew it was coming. It was kind of fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So what do you think the future of North Carolina wine looks like? Well, we've invested a fortune here, and we, we believe that the future is bright. Um, North Carolina has come a long way. We've seen a lot, come a long way in the, in, the, uh, gosh, in the 15 years that we've been involved. Um, and, I, and I believe it will continue to grow. Um, we're involved in a uh, quality alliance program here. Um, we are working with uh, North Carolina wine growers and with Surrey Community College, and we are putting all of our wines through it, uh, as many of the other wineries are. We're hoping that um, the quality alliance and, and what we need to push quality-wise to have people accept our wines, this will be an important step to do that. So we are... Um, we're pushing, pushing for this. Um, we believe that putting your wines through this is very important, getting the sticker and making sure that people believe. And then we have to educate people on the quality of what the, or what the sticker means. We are working on that. I'm working hard with a lot of other good people to make sure this happens. I believe, I believe that and our continuing push for quality is what we need to do. Yeah, quality is what's going to get the state's wines recognized. It's going to put us on the map. Not that we aren't already, but it's going to really lead to more advanced uh, spreading of North Carolina wine. I agree. I agree. And that's why we're working so hard. Again, part of our give back program is we want to push this, not only for our own wines, but for the state wines. We want to make sure that. Um, we're also involved in the uh, state fair wine competition. Um, we're bringing legitimacy, more legitimacy to that, bringing some help. I'm on the great council, which actually runs it. Um, but um, we're, we're working hard to make sure that that is a quality setup, uh, and we're very, very pleased with that. We're including uh, all wines from the state in it, which I think are super important for this day. Absolutely. So we're kind of winding down on the questions here. Um, what is it that you want visitors to either of your locations to know when they come to visit you? Um. For me, I think that we would like for visitors to know that we, number one, are so glad and thankful that they come to us and that they, um, they spend some extra time with us and, and kind of learn about what we're doing and that they are hopefully, at the end of it, a little more educated because being a former teacher, I always feel like I need to throw in something <laughs> if I need to explain meritage or there's always something that you can teach people. So, and they, they oftentimes don't have a clue. So number one, that they will have a fun experience and that they will enjoy the wine, but that they will learn a little something too. 
And I think that's important. We want to make sure they, they have a great experience here. Uh, we have a beautiful setting. People can relax out here. They can, they can love life. Uh, they can be with people that they love, that they like, they're having fun with. And they can be around a beautiful setting to, to help them that. We have some great wines. Um, and they want to come back and they want to tell their friends about it. You know, the best advertising you can get is word of mouth. Absolutely. And we are super excited that we have a lot of ambassadors out there that say, you got to come here. This is a little off the beaten path, uh, but it's worth, the, it's worth the trip. It's worth the trip. And uh, that's kind of what we want to do. We also want to make sure our wines are very different between the two. We want the experience to be very different between the two. We want people to enjoy that. Uh, we're not going to judge what wine you're going you're gonna to drink. We're going to give you a choice. And hopefully you will find several wines that you like. And so far it's worked. We're we're in the black, and, and that's a good thing. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, Chuck and Jamie, thank you so much for speaking with us today. We enjoyed the conversation. We did learn something, Jamie, so you can take that back. Okay. Um, yes. I think this has been fantastic. So, yes. Well, thank you very much for being a part of what we're trying to do in North Carolina. Of course. Thanks. You guys are great, and we, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Chuck and Jamie. We look forward to seeing them at the next industry event as they help to promote North Carolina wine across the state. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and a review. This helps others find our podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, a cork only talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free run LLC production.